Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. I am Dr. Brianne Showman-Brown, and in this episode, I am joined by Warren Fitzmorris. He is a mental performance coach in New Orleans, working side-by-side with a physical therapist to help that injured athlete return to performance. He has also recently started working with non-injured athletes in order to help them improve their performance through mental retraining rather than the physical side of the game. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode as we talk about overcoming fears from injury as well as how to improve your own performance when you are struggling with yours. So let's tune in. Warren, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. So you're a mental performance coach. You work with a lot of athletes. Tell me your, or give us your background. How did you kind of get into this realm and into this environment that you're working in? Yeah. So um, when I was in college and undergrad, I sat in on a class um, at a different university and I ran into a professor that was teaching sports psychology kind of through a health and wellness program. And that was kind of like the light bulb moment of, wow, this stuff is awesome. This is what I want to do. Um, so I, I found a, the program at university of Tennessee where I got my master's in sports psychology and motor behavior. Um, and then I came home to new Orleans, um, found a, found a home in a physical therapy clinic that, um, kind of emphasizes the athletes and and sports and performance. Um, And I've kind of made a home there. Uh, It's very comfortable to work with athletes as they approach therapy, um, return to sport, deal with those fears. Um, And we've recently expanded to have a performance gym um, to train healthy athletes and teams as they get ready for their, their season. That's awesome. It's such the mental side of sports is so important to integrate into both the rehabbing athlete and the performing athlete. So I love that you Mm -hmm. went to that realm and really found a good niche to, to get in there. Yeah, it it makes a lot of sense. Um, When athletes perform well, you know, they don't really have to think too much. That's kind of the goal of performance is to, to not think at all. Um, but when you're in therapy and you're going through rehab, you have almost too much time to think. And I think that's when a lot of athletes kind of run into some trouble. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So a day in the life of you, are you working like with the therapist and the athlete at the same time? Do they come see you separately? What does that look like? Uh, both. Um, Obviously, the PT is going to have a great relationship with their their um, their athlete as they work on stuff, and um, you know they're on the table and they get to talk about their day and, and work on exercises. Um, sometimes the PT will will just know from the get go, okay, this would be a great patient for for Warren to work with. Um, sometimes it, may, it might take a few sessions for them to explain that they have some fears or that they have some some hesitancies in therapy um, and that would be the light bulb moment for the, the therapist to say okay this really does belong in, in Warren's world um, and then there's the times where you know they're, they're finished therapy um, or maybe they never even came to therapy at all and they just um, 
want to get better at their sport from a mental standpoint. Um, so they want to take care of the, the mental side as an addition to the physical side. So when we're dealing with an injured athlete with these spheres, why do these spheres exist? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the, the most simple answer is probably what goes through your head is, well, if it happened once, it can happen again. Um, and so now it's been brought to the front of their mind that injury is a thing, injury is possible. Um, and it's almost like they have this sense of vulnerability now that they've been hurt. Um, and the, the brain is smart. The brain is not going to let us put ourselves in a position to be in pain or to go through another injury. So if it happens, the brain is going to do everything it can to kind of say, hey, no, this is a harmful environment. Uh, we don't want to be in this. So it's, it's going to let the brain's going to let us know that um, some things are safe and some things are a threat. Um, so, you know, it's always working toward homeostasis. So our brain is, is going to protect us the best it can. Uh, so that's, I think that's one reason why fear exists, uh, especially after an injury. Um, we also don't, we also fear what we don't know. And so after an injury, we don't know if it's going to hold up anymore. Uh, whereas before the injury even happened, it wasn't in our mind, so we, did, we didn't give it any attention. So after an injury, now we're giving it attention. Uh, and we don't know uh, for sure if, if what we're doing in therapy is, is going to prevent it from happening ever again. So we think about it. Do you see a difference in the fears, in, um, especially in the contact sports, in contact injuries versus non-contact injuries? Uh, yeah, I think there is a difference. Um, Non-contact injuries, you have well, – it's all about how the athlete interprets it first. Um, and so if you have an athlete that interprets a non-contact injury as uh, something that's their fault or it's a, um, a poor mechanics that they had or it's nothing that anybody else did to them, so it falls solely on them. Uh, whereas contact injuries, you know, if you take a helmet to the knee and it tears your ACL, um, you can kind of point to that and say, oh, it, I was in a bad spot. Um, this is just the nature of the sport. So you can kind of lean on that um, instead of having uh, your thoughts during a non-contact injury where it kind of falls on you and it's your fault. Um, so dealing with those things, I do, I do think it looks a little different for contact and non-contact. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, because at least with contact, you know why it happened, so, or mm -hmm. quote-unquote know why it happened, so you're, I would think you're less likely to have those fears mm -hmm. going back to it. Thinking about the rehab side of things, the fears that they have of, you know, wondering if it's going to happen again, are they legitimate fears, or um, are they things that's just kind of these stories that they put in their head? Well, you could make an argument that if you're having a fear, um, that it's always legitimate. Um, if someone says they're feel for, fear, that, fearful or getting hurt, um, even if they've done all the right things in therapy, they've um, cleared all their, their return to sports stuff, um, but they still have this fear, that fear is real to them. 
uh, whether it's justified by the PT's perspective or the doctor's perspective, that fear in their head is, is real. Um, and so, I mean, you have to have both if you're going to go back to play. If you have the mental but you don't have the physical, obviously you're not going to be able to play. Uh, if you have the physical but you don't have the mental, um, your body's not going to let you go out and do those things that your body is capable of. Um, so the, the, the fear is real, um, whether or not it should be there because they have all this evidence of being able to do it because they're all prepared because their body's ready to go. Their mind is still telling them to not do it. So besides just a poor performance going out, not performing well with these fears, do you see that almost putting them at increased risk of re-injury because of maybe a hesitation that they have during practice or performance or not really? I think it kind of goes back to the idea that our brains don't want us to do anything to put ourselves in harm's way. So though that kind of thought process creates the hesitations, um, I think, I think most athletes will tell you that if you don't play, um, at a hundred percent effort, you know, you kind of back off that you're going to put yourself at risk for injury because somebody else is going to be, uh, coming at you with their, with all their force and all their intent. So the guy, like a basketball player that, uh, doesn't want to jump off of his knee cause he doesn't want to hurt it again. He's going to put himself at risk for getting hurt in something else. Uh, because the rest of his body has to do a lot of the work. And, and the person that's defending him is going to be able to exert his will or her will without going fully, without giving it your full effort. You're allowing somebody else to put more pressure on you, put more pressure on your body, put your body through stresses that if we're able to go full, then we wouldn't be in that situation. So yeah, I think, I think it does play a role. I think having hesitations puts you at risk, but more so from a point of making the rest of your body do too much. Okay, that makes sense. Do you notice between, either between sports, between injuries or both, or types of injuries, I should say, or both, do you notice more fears around specific either sports or injuries? Yeah, I think the, the, the contact sports like football, uh, even basketball, I mean, the, there's already fear that you could, you could get seriously hurt on any given play. You know, golf doesn't seem to have too much fear of injury. You know, you're, you're swinging a club and hitting a ball. There's not too much contact in that. But even baseball, baseball is not really much a contact sport, but there's always that, that possibility that, you know, over time somebody could throw out their arm um, but it's never at the forefront of their mind. Whereas football on any given play, uh, I think I think everybody that plays football pretty much knows now that the ACL is at risk um, because it is such a high-impact uh, sport, a lot of cutting, a lot of jumping. The hope is that we don't put so much fear into you know, high school kids' minds, high school football players' minds, that everyone's going to tear their ACL. Hopefully that doesn't become the norm because then it goes back to your other question of, you know, if, if we think about it, is it going to happen more, more, is it more likely to happen? Uh, so uh, whenever I work with athletes, the topic always comes up of uh, achievement thinking versus avoidance thinking. Uh, when we think in terms of avoidance, 
you know, we're thinking we don't want something bad to happen. And by thinking like that, we still put that focus at the front of our mind. And so it's more likely to happen. So from a performance standpoint, the golfer that thinks don't hit it in the water is more likely to hit it in the water because he's still thinking about something that he don't, doesn't want to do. Whereas his target should be his focus. Where does he want the ball to land? From an injury standpoint, think don't run too fast, don't jump too high, don't cut too hard. Then we're not going to do those things because our brain's telling us not to put ourselves in position to get hurt. So we're not going to be able to perform. Yeah, and that goes right along our, you know, exactly what we learned as, you know, what I learned as far as cueing for coaching, like not using the don't, but just using what you want them to do because we always focus on on that task, regardless if you say, you know, do or don't. Mm -hmm. An athlete has these fears. Where do you go as far as helping them overcome these fears and getting back to practice? Uh, so the ones that are in the clinic that I get to work with, the first thing I emphasize is that we want to have trust in three areas. We want to be able to trust our therapy, you know, the exercises we're doing, that they are the right things for us. We want to be able to trust our therapists and, and really our whole medical team. And then we, wanna, we, we need to be able to trust ourselves that what you've done, the exercises you've done and the homework you've done and, and all the things that you've put into your uh, injure, injury, that you trust yourself that you've done everything correctly. Um, I think the first two, trusting your therapy, trusting your therapist, are the easier ones. Uh, trusting yourself is the hardest one. So I start there. If we, if we have trust in those three areas, then it's going to lead to confidence. Um, and with confidence, confidence is, is going to take the place of, of fear of re-injury. So without having confidence, then we're going to have fear of re-injury at the front of our mind. But if we can find confidence in all the, the exercises we've done, all the, the things we've done in trusting ourselves, then we're more likely to have success with going back to sport. Um, one thing that we can't replace is the experience. Some athletes just need to go through it. Um, that, that moment that they got hurt, you know, if, if it's, you know, football is the classic example. Um, the running back that tears his ACL, um, he needs to get hit again. He needs to go through it um, and he needs to, to get hit on the ground, stand back up and realize that it's okay. I just went through it. I'm fine. Now let's play ball. There are things we can do to, to kind of get them ready for that. Uh, imagery is one of the main tools that, that I'll use with athletes to get them comfortable with those negative images of seeing themselves get hurt or uh, just preparing them for the, the pace of play again, the intensity that comes with their sport. Um, just getting them ready as, as best we can for the actual experience without putting them out there just yet. And then uh, mindfulness training. Mindfulness is kind of the hot buzzword right now, um, but it's awareness. Awareness of my emotional and physical state um, in the moment so that when pressure situations arise or stressful situations arise, or when I realize that I'm thinking about not hurting myself, that we're able to take a step back, take a deep breath, and realize that's not how I want to think. I want to think about how to execute this play. Um, 
And so having that awareness, that mindfulness of, you know, what am I doing when I'm doing things right so that I can perform at my best. Um, so the, the overall question was how do the athletes overcome these fears? I go with trust, which leads to confidence, um, walk them through imagery so that they can get some experience and then some, some mindfulness training to get them aware of themselves. In extreme cases, when they really aren't getting over that point to trust themselves, do you ever implement hypnosis or anything like that? Uh, I have not done any hypnosis. Not familiar with it enough to, to even try. Um, have you? <laughs> no, I was just curious. As you were talking, I was like, oh, I wonder. <laughs> uh, some the, When I've done the mindfulness stuff, some people think I'm hypnotizing them, but I'm not trying to control their brain or anything. Right. Um, but it does kind of sound like I'm trying to put them into a sleep or a trance. But really, I just want them to be calm um, and realize what's going on in the moment. Um, but no, hypnosis has not been one of my tools. Yeah. Uh, I definitely get the mindfulness part. I do a lot of that, you know, just personally as far as dealing with different things through life and mm-hmm. um, both personal and business. And it definitely is beneficial. Do you deal much with um, people with concussions? Uh, our clinic as a whole doesn't see too many concussions. Um, uh, the only thing they would do is, is balance work, but we, we don't see a lot of concussions and, and people haven't called me uh, to deal with concussions. Um, and really, I'm not qualified to, to work with somebody on concussions. That's going to be a, a neurologist or a psychologist. Um, the only time that somebody might call me about a concussion patient is if they have that fear of getting another one where they're done with their symptoms, they're cleared, they're ready to go, but they're afraid to go back on the field because they're afraid of getting another concussion. Um, so I'll never work with somebody on their symptoms of a concussion, but um, how they approach their sport, having fear of getting another concussion, um, that certainly is is in the same realm as somebody with a leg injury or, or a shoulder injury. Do concussed athletes tend to have this, those fears about getting concussed again or not as much? Uh, I, would, I would think they do. I, mean, I think it's very similar to to uh, any type of extremity injury, legs or shoulders. It's a legit injury, and, and people are aware when they have them. Um, I think the the awareness of um, concussion injuries over the past few years has been great. Um, having all these athletic trainers trained to to work with their athletes and, and know the signs and symptoms, um, it's it's very much needed. Um, and I think it, it's a legit fear that if, if somebody gets one, that they are at risk for another. Um, and we need to do everything we can to, to put them at the lowest risk possible. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, you know, I know with obviously the medical professionals, athletic trainers, the concussion awareness and the importance of taking athletes out is very high on, on our list. Um, I just wasn't sure as far as you still hear the stories of the athletes, you know, lying in order to continue playing and everything. Mm-hmm. So I still wonder if they view concussions as an injury, like other injuries. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not an outward injury. There's no scar. Um, there's no being on crutches for a few weeks. It's, it's all inside. 
And so you walk around, you feel fine and you look fine. Um, so how can you walk up to somebody and say, I can't play tonight because my head hurts. They're like, no, you look fine. Go out and play. Um, so there's that, that toughness uh, mentality that I look fine. I am fine. Um, it's, I, it's definitely gotten better over the past few years about the awareness. Um, but I, there's, there's definitely that, that macho-ness that if there's, there's nothing that looks wrong, then I'm fine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I want to switch gears and go to the performance training side of things a little bit and the mindset as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. You have your athletes there, obviously wanting to improve. Are you doing imagery with them? Are you um, just kind of helping them with more of that positive thinking mindset? What are your strategies with them? Yeah, so I, I kind of have a, as I go on through this, I kind of get more efficient with how I work with athletes. So you have your, you know, what you start with, what you go to in the middle, and then how you finish. And I always start with awareness. Um, we can't make any progress with our mental skills if we don't have an awareness of what, what we're strong at already, where we're weak, what we need to improve upon. And so everything I start with is all about awareness. Sometimes that means doing mindfulness training formally. Um, sometimes that just means asking the athlete to go out and pay attention to certain things during practice and then come back and report, all right, what did you do well? What, did you, what do you need to improve? Then it kind of goes into, um, you know, because I've been attached to PT so long, I've kind of picked up how therapists do their evaluations and, and create a plan of care. And I've kind of, kind of modeled myself after that because uh, it makes sense. You find out where they're weak, where they're strong, and then you make a, a plan of care based on what they need. Um, and so I kind of view it the same way. If, if somebody's telling me that they uh, have bad images in their head, they can't get things out of their mind, they keep seeing themselves perform poorly, then I know imagery is a tool that would benefit them. Uh, if they report that they keep having negative thoughts and they keep telling themselves that they're not um, good enough to play, then I know it's, it's a positive self-talk tool that they should uh, work on. So you, you, get, you get ideas from them based on what they say that give you a clue on what kind of mental skills they, they should use to improve. Um, and then once we're done with that, then we kind of go into, okay, how does this give you confidence? Um, how can you use this? How can you apply these things on the field without somebody like me there um, so that they can do it on their own? Um, so that's kind of like my trend of, you know, let's create awareness. What tools do we, can we give you that are going to help? And then how do we apply it? So are you working with, do you work with all the athletes as far as the performance training side of things or more of the ones that come because like, it's a pitcher that's stuck in a rut that has not had, you know, wins for 10, 15 games, that sort of thing. Right. So the difference between like an athlete that didn't come find me and, and an athlete that might be in a slump or something. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully both. Um, but the phone does ring more when an athlete is struggling. Um, I'm a big believer in, in prehab over rehab. So if we can um, 
have developed those mental skills before it becomes an issue, then they can do it on their own. Uh, trying to run myself out of a job, but <laughs> if, if, if all the athletes had the knowledge of the mental skills in the sports psych world and they didn't need somebody like me, um, you know, that would just be a great, great thing for athletics and, and for athletes and student athletes. Um, unfortunately, not everybody has, um, not, not everybody's default is thinking positively or thinking productively. So people like me exist. Um, so I'd love to work with, with healthy athletes and people that have no problems in their sport, um, but they don't typically think that they need somebody like me. Um, we do, people in my profession have to fight a stigma that um, if you work with somebody like me, you're broken, you need a psychologist, I'm a shrink, um, but it's not what I do. Uh, I don't do mental health issues. Um, it's all performance-based. So um, for any athlete out there that is wary of, of working with a, a sports psych professional, um, I, I just want them to understand that it's all about performance. And just like they have coaches to help them with their pitching or how to catch a football or uh, how to swim more efficiently, uh, they have coaches for all these physical things. Um, just want people to be aware that there are mental coaches out there that help with the, the thinking side of sports. Yeah, I th that's a perfect way to put it. Because uh, we forget that, you know, any sport that we're in, we have a coach for if you want to get better. And I, even though we know there's a mental side of it, I think a lot of athletes don't fully understand the mental side of it sometimes. And when they do get frustrated, just really don't know how to get out of that. Yeah, I think there's a pride-ish uh, aspect to it as well. They don't, they don't want to admit that they need somebody like that. But we're all very easy um, to say that we need a, a hitting coach or a pitching coach. Uh, but it's much harder to admit that, that we could benefit from somebody that, that trains the brain. Yeah, like you said, there's such a stigma around – the, you know, being broken type of mindset that whether you don't want to seek out help or you don't want someone else to know that you, you know, are seeking out help. I think it's just, mm -hmm. where is that stigma there? Mm -hmm. And I think we'll get there because uh, personal training was not a thing for a long time. And then it kind of exploded. Um, and I think eventually it'll be as ingrained um, in athletics as much as personal and personal training, uh, strength conditioning. Um, so I think one day it'll get there. So it's kind of exciting. I would agree. I think we're in kind of in this time that people are starting to understand, you know, like you said, the mindfulness, like people are just starting to understand that a lot more. And it's, it's a term that's thrown around a lot more. Um, we're seeing a lot more with social media as far as like, just different life coaches and different mindfulness things that I think it is coming a mm -hmm. lot, coming a lot more. Ah, awesome. So you work in your clinic. Do you do any um, virtual as far as people that aren't in your clinic that are around the country? Well, I mean, it is a fairly new position here uh, at Oshner. Um, so we haven't expanded our reach just yet, but I'm sure we can. Um, Right now, it's it's just one, it's just me, one guy um, trying to 
here is the area. Um, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm open to any, any way I can work with an athlete, I'm open to it. Um, and if, if that means video or, or phone call chat, um, we'll make it happen. Awesome. So if someone wants to get in contact with you or just to get more information, how do they reach you? Yeah, the, obviously the, the people that are in New Orleans or the New Orleans area um, have the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, I live here. Uh, Ochsner Health System is the, the hospital and then the uh, Sports Medicine Institute. Uh, and But the, for the people that aren't uh, that close, um, very easy to reach by email or phone. Uh, so it's my full name, Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, dot Fitzmorris, F-I-T-Z-M-O-R-R-I-S, at Oshner, which is O-C-H-S-N-E-R, dot org. Um, anybody could reach out to me that way, and uh, I'll do the best I can to help them no matter where they are. Awesome. Thank you for that. Any final parting thoughts that you find important that we didn't discuss yet? Um, I think as far as the fear of re-injury, um, and I'm really thinking of athletes that have to have a surgery, um, it would be really great if we could have a support system in place um, for them to rely on. So that's their whole medical team, their doctor, uh, their athletic trainer, um, their therapist, but then the important ones are um, parents, friends, coaches, teammates. Um, athletes often get forgotten about if they have to go to long-term therapy. They have to go to therapy instead of go to practice, or they have to leave school early to go to therapy, um, and they just want to go home after instead of go hang out with their friends. So they lose touch of their support system. Um, but the research has shown that the support system is, is a huge component of an athlete's ability to return to that sport um, and actually get better in therapy. Um, so I'd, I'd, as, the, as the final message, I would really hope that athletes can, can keep their support system. Um, so for any coaches or, or teammates listening, um, if, you, if you have an injured athlete, stay in touch with them. Make sure they're doing okay. Um, and continue to be their, their support. Awesome. Thank you for those final words. And thank you so much for your time for joining me today, Warren. Oh, absolutely. This was a lot of fun for me. Awesome. I'm glad. So I will, um, I'm going to say, I was totally not where I want to go with that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll definitely have our listeners contact you if they have any further questions on the uh, mental performance um, aspect and maybe we'll get you on here again in the future to talk more fears and more mental mindset. That'd be great. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Brian. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. Show notes can be found at highlyfunctional.org. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you would go on to iTunes and give me a five-star rating and review as well as share this on social media with all your friends and followers. Until next time, go out and be highly functional.